Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lose the Capes podcast series. There's just not enough time in the day. Today, I am really excited to have with us Sally Kazumchek. Did I do that right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Um, Sally is not only a freelance writer, but also a, a dietitian. And she writes some blogs at um, realmomnutrition.com about healthy eating for children. Um, Sally has counseled clients in weight management, prenatal nutrition, diabetes education, and she's been published in uh, magazines and newspapers like Parents, Prevention, Self, Family Circus. I mean, family circle. <laughs> Feels like a family circus. It does. <laughs> Fitness, shape, health, eating well, and ladies home journal, along with others. So thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to pick your brain because this is a, an important topic to me as well as a lot of moms. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, is there anything that you want to tell us? You are a mother of two, correct? I am. Two boys. Great. So we focus a lot on um, moms and motherhood. Well, that's our whole focus, actually. And then um, how we get through the day and make it through life as working moms or stay-at-home moms or whatever. Um, so when you started your um, trip down to dietitian, you did not have kids yet, right? I did not, no. <laughs> so that, that com- made a, uh, made everything a little bit more complicated, but... But you were already a freelance writer about um, health before this, right? Yes. Yeah, I've been a freelance writer um, almost since the beginning of my career. When I graduated college, I spent a couple years in New York City working for um, Country Living Magazine and Self Magazine. And then um, after that, I went off um, and became a freelance writer. And then I was writing so much about nutrition and um, interviewing dietitians and, re- you know, reading the research. And I got so interested in it that I decided to go back to school and become a dietitian myself. And because I had been an English major undergrad and hadn't had chemistry and, you know, biology and all of that, I had to kind of go back and start from scratch. So it took me a long time. And I, but I eventually went through, got, um, became a dietitian, um, had one child and then went on and got a master's degree. So. And at what point in time did you write your book? Dinner Time Survival Guide. Yeah, that came out last year, and it took about um, a year and a half before that. I was working on it with Cooking Light, so in okay. the last couple of years, but it just came out last year. Great. Well, tell us um, before we get into talking about children and and nutrition. Can you tell us a bit about your blog and why you named it Real Mom Nutrition? Sure. Um, I when I had um, my first child. I realized how difficult it was to not only feed yourself in a healthy way when you had kids, but how hard it was to feed kids. You know, and I had spent a lot of time actually myself writing articles um, and even talking to clients about how to eat healthy, how to feed your kids healthy. I'd written a lot of articles about picky eaters, you know, with advice like, well, just, you know, just try 10 times and they'll eat it or try it in it, you know, cut it in a different shape and they'll eat it. And then when I had my own kids, I realized, gosh, it's so much harder than it is made out to be. And I just felt like even as a dietitian, you know, I had all these initials after my name and it was so hard for me. And um, I just felt like at the time, Nobody was really telling the truth. And so I decided to start a blog and I, I call it kind of, I wanted to, you know, pull back the curtain and show people what really goes on, um, even in a dietitian's house. 
And, you know, even though there's, you know, certainly a lot to learn and I provide a lot of tips and, and things that work for me on my blog, I also am very upfront about the mistakes that I have made or the lessons that I've learned. Um, so it's not only about the successes, but it's about the failures. And I find people respond to that really well. It's very comforting for people to know that it happens to everybody. Right. That's for sure. I know that we went through some huge battles with food in our household. Um yeah, so it is good. You feel like such a failure when you're sitting there at the table and your child won't eat anything but chicken nuggets. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially, you know, when you're supposed to be a quote unquote expert in this area, right. you, know, you think, gosh, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to eat healthy all the time. My kids are supposed to be perfect eaters. What's wrong? And, you know, it is just a universal experience. So you mentioned the whole um, just make them try it 10 times. You know, there's this whole thing that... um I've read articles, I've even written some stuff on my blog about, um, you know, the solution, one of the solutions is to just continuing to offer them the same thing over and over again. Is that based on science or is that just something that we like to tell ourselves? <laughs> well, <laughs> there is a research study and I believe it was done on preschoolers. Um, I could be wrong, but it did show that I think it was 10 to 15 exposures um, before children were uh, um apt to try it and like it. However, I think that that can be really discouraging for some people because in some kids, it's going to take a lot longer than that. So I would never want parents to think, well, all I have to do is put it on the table 10 to 15 times and my child should start eating it. And if they're not, then something's wrong with them or something's wrong with me. And, you know, every kid is different. So, you know, I am a, a former picky eater myself. So I feel like I, I understand what's going on in my kids' minds when they don't want to try something. Right. And it took me decades to try certain foods because they, you know, I was afraid of the, the texture or the whatever it was. So, um, so there's that 10, 15, sometimes I see it as 20 exposures. Um, I would just take that with a grain of salt, but absolutely it's good advice to keep offering it. And um, that could just mean it being on the table or it being on your child's plate. It doesn't mean your child has to actually pick it up and, you know, take a bite of it or even swallow it. Right. So um, for some children, just having it on their plate is is a big, is a powerful exposure for them or, or having it on the table, seeing mom and dad eat it, seeing a sibling eat it. All of those things can contribute toward your child feeling more comfortable about that food and then, you know, trying it themselves someday. Well, that's good, good advice. I keep on trying and trying and sometimes you never know. I think it was, um, oh, I took asparagus the other day. My kids would not eat it, not eat it, not eat it. I wrapped it in bacon. <laughs> Tried yeah. it again. My son ate half, like, he probably ate seven bundles of, um, <laughs> of asparagus. We'll deal with the uh -huh. heart issues from all the bacon later, but, <laughs> but he's eating asparagus. Yeah, so, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That leads me to another question. Um, and this kind of just popped up as we were talking about food and what we're giving them. What do you see or, um, or can you share with us anything? that might be like the biggest no-nos that people are actually doing that they think they're being healthy with their kids, but in reality, they're like 
fruit gummies sure. or something like that, you know? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, fruit, fruit gummies, gosh, that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, <laughs> those are labeled. There's a lot of foods that are labeled, you know, made with real fruit or made with fruit juice or they have a picture of fruit on the, on the cover. And then when you look at the ingredients, it really is just sugar mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, artificial coloring. So absolutely fruit snacks. I have a whole post on my blog about fruit snacks and how they really need to be treated as a dessert. Um, but um, speaking of dessert, I would say one of the things that I see a lot of parents doing is trying to get their kids to eat more of the quote unquote healthy food by bribing them with dessert or withholding mm-hmm. dessert. So saying, you know, if you take five bites of broccoli, you can have dessert. And that is a nice short term solution. Um, but in the long run, it's really not helping your child develop, um, you know, an appreciation or um you know, a, a preference for that food. Um, but it's, you know, and, and also if you think about it, I was, I was actually talking to a group of moms yesterday about this and I was comparing it to, so say you're in the grocery store and you're in the checkout aisle and your child is crying for the candy that's in the checkout aisle, right? Mm-hmm. So the short term solution would be to buy the candy, right? And make the crying go away. But in the long term, you're creating a really mm-hmm. bad situation where every time you go to a store, your child's going to be asking for this and, you know, you're going to be dealing with a crying, screaming child. So mm-hmm. we all know as parents, OK, we can't do that. We can't, you know, create that, set that precedent. But it's the same thing at the dinner table. You just can't link those two. And, you know, the other thing is that it creates this whole, you know, if you eat the yucky stuff, you get the good stuff. And we mm-hmm. just don't want to label food as the bad stuff you have to, you know, that's work to eat, that you have to get through to get this great stuff. We just want it all to be food. Well, I, um, I'm very guilty of doing that, so I'm going to have to modify our, <laughs> as you were, as you were describing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, we do that every day. If you're just- <laughs> Eat five bites of this, and you can have your snack later. You know what? Honestly, I used to do the bites game, too, with my first son when he was little. And one day he turned to me and he said, Mom, how many bites of this do I need to take? And it just sort of hit me in that moment. This is ridiculous that I am dictating to him how many bites of foods he has to take. You know, like, right. that's a skill he needs to learn himself, how to, you know, eat until he's full or until he's satisfied or whatever. So, um, you know, that's not your job as a parent to to dictate how many bites your child takes. But no, believe me, I I I was guilty of it, too. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the sugar in food, um, high fructose corn syrup. Can we talk a little bit about that? I recently have, um, I, you know, we know it's bad. I've seen some stuff to say it's bad. How bad is it? And I've decided to completely, when possible, eliminate it. But um what are your thoughts on, on high fructose corn syrup? You know, yeah, there's a lot of research on it, and I feel like it goes a little bit back and forth about whether it's any worse than sugar. Um, you know, the, it's the fructose that is that can be harmful to the liver when taken in very large amounts. And we're talking about people who are drinking lots of soda, for instance. That's getting a lot of fructose in a very um, short amount of time, you know, just guzzling a drink down. Um, but both, you know, granulated sugar, honey, high fructose corn syrup, when they hit the small intestine, they break down into glucose and fructose. All of them do in, in a, in a very similar proportion. So high fructose corn syrup, even though it's called high fructose, it's really not that much higher than a lot of other common sweeteners. So I guess my, um, uh, my advice on that is just because a food is labeled you know, free of high fructose corn syrup are now made with, with real sugar instead of 
high fructose corn syrup does not make that food any healthier than the original version. And I think, you know, consumers are, are now, you know, keen or aware of that high fructose corn syrup ingredient and trying to avoid it. And I just worry that now there's a health halo over the foods that say made without high fructose mm. corn syrup. You know, like I even saw there's, I think it's, it might be Coke. It has, I think it's called Coke Life. And right. it's, it's green, <laughs> you know, the type, the, the font is green. And it says, you know, now made with real sugar. And that creates this perception that somehow now it's a healthy drink because it's sugar. And that's just not the case. So, you know, look for, I, you know, any kind of sweetener, whether it's um, sugar, molasses, honey, high fructose corn syrup, even fruit juice concentrate is actually more like an added sugar than, you know, fruit. All of those things are added sugars. So look at the total content of sugar, not just, you know, not just looking for those sugar names. Um, that's what I recommend to parents. That's good advice. Um <sighs> I'm sorry, I just was writing that down to make sure I didn't forget it, and I lost my <laughs> train of thought there. Um, okay, so, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. So if I'm giving my child a, a juice box from time to time, it's okay to give them a Capri Sun, even if it has you know, I think if it's an occasional thing, I don't stress. Like sometimes my kids get a Capri Sun at a party or a soccer game or whatever um, if somebody brings them. And I really don't stress about an occasional thing because it's not something they're getting every day. Right. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I struggle with the most, I think, when it comes to – I'm fairly good about making a, a – well-balanced dinner and including the fruits and the vegetables and lean proteins and all that stuff. But one of the things that I struggle with is healthy snacks because we're always on the go and I don't want to just grab a little bag of chips or the um, fruit gummies or things like that. So what kind of recommendations do you have for snacks? Sure. Um, so I usually tell parents, you know, try to have fruits and vegetables represented at most of your snacks, um, or at least make that the, the sort of default choice. So if my child comes to me and says, I want a snack, usually what I will say first is, how about a banana? How about some apple slices? Whatever it is. Um, and fruit is very portable. I mean, throw a bunch of bananas in the car, throw some apples in the car. So um, whenever we are um, on the go traveling, I usually try to throw some whole fruit um, in there. Very easy to pack. Um, can be very inexpensive depending on what you buy. Bananas, super cheap um, and just a great, you know, filling um, source, too. Um, I, you know, there are definitely, if you really need portable things, there are definitely a lot of bars out there that, um, you know, like the, the Lara bars, I'm a big fan of those. They just have a few ingredients in them or the kind bars that are, you know, the whole fruits and nuts, or the whole dried fruit and the whole nuts in there. I think those are some good, um, choices. And there are a lot of things that you can make. Like if you don't want to buy the bars, you can make your own snack bars and snack balls and all of that and put them in a little container and travel, um, travel with them. You know, raisins are a great choice. You know, other unsweetened, um, dried fruit. A lot of dried fruit is pretty high in sugar. So you kind of have to watch and read those labels. But you know, really, I think that snacks should look a lot like meals as far as the foods that you serve. Not necessarily the size, of course, because snacks are just sort of meant to provide some nourishment between meals. But I, the problem that people get into with kids' snacks, I think, is that the snacks look really fun and cool. And there are these, you know, fruit gummies and, um, you know, 
just hyper sweetened, you know, cheese, cheese crackers and different kinds of things, lots of sodium, lots of sugar. And then they really like those things, but then they get to meals and they want to see those foods back. You know, they don't want to see the mealtime foods. So, you know, I think that most snacks should just look like the kinds of foods you would serve at other at, at meals, too, whether it's a little half of a you know, nut butter sandwich or some apple slices and some cheese, just like the food that you want your kids eating. So don't get stuck into this trap of, okay, snacks have to look like this. They have to be in a package with cartoon characters and they have to be colored and whatever it is, you know, that's okay once in a while, but not most of the time. That's my recommendation. Thank you. That's good advice. Um, The other area is breakfast, you know, as, as, um, as an adult trying to manage my, my uh, healthy eating, I've been reading a bunch of different stuff about, you know, having more protein and having a larger breakfast and all that kind of stuff. I want to make sure that my kids get off to a good start in the morning, mm-hmm. but they just want to eat cereal and milk. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any good tips for breakfast and making sure that they're getting the right balance, especially before a day of school? Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to get carbohydrates and protein, and some fat is also nice at breakfast. But, you know, with cereal and milk, that is actually carbs and protein there. You're getting that from, you know, the carbohydrates from the cereal and carbs and protein from the milk, and you might be getting some fat from the milk, depending on what variety that you're getting. If you're doing a cereal, I'd suggest getting some a whole grain cereal, so they're getting fiber. Fiber is going to keep them fuller longer, so their tummies won't be growling at, you know, 10, 30, or 11. So what you want to avoid is, you know, you don't want them to be mid-morning in school and kind of crashing because they're tired and they're hungry and maybe their belly starts to hurt because, you know, they're getting hungry. So, um, you know, thinking about getting fiber, getting protein, um, fiber and protein are both very filling. Fat can also be um, very filling, too. So maybe you're doing a full-fat yogurt or a low-fat yogurt. Um, maybe throw some nuts in the cereal. That would also help with satiety, which means satisfaction. Um, eggs are a great source. I have a recipe on my blog for a uh, scrambled egg muffin. You can put whatever your kids like in. You can put diced up meat or you can put veggies, whatever. You make them in um, a muffin tin. You can pop them out and keep them in the refrigerator, even the freezer. Um, pop those out and heat one up. That's very quick. Um, oatmeal is another great one. And you can toss all kinds of things in there. You can put nuts and dried fruit or sliced um Slice fruit, a scoop of peanut butter, all of those things will kind of lend more staying power to that breakfast. It's funny when you say it all, it sounds so common sense, but (laughs) (laughs) yet it doesn't just naturally come to me to do any of those things. I hope that I'm not... uh alone in that. <laughs> no, and absolutely. You know, my, my kids get, um, I don't buy cereal all the time, but when I do, they really like it. And they, you know, they might eat it um, for several days until it's gone. And that's their favorite breakfast at that time. And that's okay. Um, you know, don't beat yourself up about cereal and milk. That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I want to give you the chance to talk a little bit about your book too, um, Dinner Time Survival Guide. I'm assuming that you include a lot of tips. Is it is it a recipe guide as well? Yeah, so it's a combination. So there's um hundred and there are hundred and fifty dinner recipes in it. And so that's not only um side dish not only main dishes but also some side dishes and a few desserts. And then it's broken up into ten chapters and it's organized by 
different obstacles that people have to getting dinner on the table. So, it, you know, it's 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 absolutely focused on busy parents and how hard it can be to get dinner on the table. I mean, that's why it's called Dinner Time Survival Guide, because it just sometimes can feel like, OK, I've just got to got to survive this. You know, I just got to get dinner on the table. Families are so busy. There's so many different um, kids are in all these different activities and, you know, add on top of that things like piggy eaters. Um, or maybe people don't aren't are very confident in the kitchen, and it can be a challenge for parents. So the chapters are des- are broken down into obstacles. So there's a chapter on picky eaters. There's a chapter on um, families having all different schedules. There's one on on being on a budget, and every recipe in that chapter is sort of tailored to that obstacle. So mm-hmm. the chapter on uh, you know being crunched for time will have really quick recipes. The chapter on picky eaters has recipes that are are um, generally kid friendly that a lot of kids like and then sprinkled throughout is all kinds of advice on on feeding kids on meal planning um, tr- time saving tricks in the kitchen um, you know lists of you know what not to say to your kid at the dinner table and you know m- you know my favorite little gadgets that save time in the kitchen so it's it's really a neat combination of very doable simple recipes and um, a whole bunch of advice on feeding kids and, and making dinner happen in a, that's, you know, in the real world. Right. Right. That, sound, <laughs> that sounds awesome. It, it actually sounds like the perfect companion to our book that's about to come out. We have a, we have an entire chapter dedicated to um, meals and that you actually contributed some quotes to. Yeah. Um, the meal, meal planning and all of that kind of stuff, but it's just a very small, like, snapshot into that so this would be a great thing to go right along with that um okay so you are a working mother of two and um we really like to help moms especially those who feel really overwhelmed with everything going on in their lives whether they're working or stay at home we like to provide um different resources that moms use to help get through their day a little better do you have anything um any services that you like websites books your book, obviously, would be good help at dinner time. Um, anything you want to share that helps you get through your day and take care of your kids? Sure. So um, meal planning, you know, I am I am sort of in charge of buying the food, preparing the food, planning the meals, just because that's what I love. And that's, you know, um, I, I wouldn't want anybody else in the house to be in charge of that. So one of the things that really helps me is meal planning. I do have a, um, a meal planning worksheet, uh, free printable on my blog that I personally use every single week. And it's um, broken down into I go to two different grocery stores. And so it's a um, their lists for two stores. And then at the bottom is where you can sketch out your dinners for the week. And so I use that every week to make my list, to plan out my dinners. And then I put the dinner list in the kitchen so I can refer to it. And if I did not have that, my week would not go as well as it does. Um, just having that plan and no, and having the ingredients, you know, the idea is you make your plan and you shop for the ingredients in the same day so you know you have everything. Right. That just has made all the difference in the world as far as dinner time stress goes. And then as far as my work stress, um, I do have an app that I really like that I use on my computer. It's called Focus Booster. Mm-hmm. And I have a real problem with, you know, like all moms, I have a to-do list of, you know, 55 items every day. Um, and I sometimes get caught in, like, I don't even know what to do first. And so I jump from thing to thing to thing as I'm sitting here at my computer. And I I never, 
I never do a good job on any of them because I'm just bouncing. So focus booster is nice. You can set a specific amount of time, say it's 20 minutes, and it's a, just a little um, little clock on your computer or your phone or whatever, and um, it counts down, and you can you can silence it so you don't hear the ticking, of course. <laughs> and then there's an alarm that goes off at the end. So the idea is, you know, you dedicate 20 minutes to each project or however long you choose to each project on your list, and alarm goes off after that 20 minutes. And then it um, recommends that you take a five-minute break. So you get up and you, you know, you stretch, you go get a drink, you whatever, until you're ready for your next um, next item. And that that when I use it, it's so helpful to help me focus on what I need to focus on without getting distracted by a lot of different things. I've just recently started trying to do that myself, and I, and I do. It's amazing how much uh, how much more productive you can be when you say, okay, for the next. 20 minutes. I am only working on, you know, yeah. cleaning out my email inbox or whatever. I have really found that um, that's actually been the, um, brought up in a couple of different podcasts now. So apparently that whole concept is catching on. But um, don't get me wrong. I completely get overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. And, you know, every I'd say every couple of months I have to have a good cry because I just feel overwhelmed by the the amount of things, the amount of the number of balls I have in the air at one time. So I don't want to make it sound like, gosh, with you know, with this easy worksheet and an app, you know, you'll have it all figured out. Absolutely not. I still, I still struggle. No, I think the meal planning worksheet is awesome. Um, I, I keep telling myself and keep trying to get in the habit of meal planning because I know one, it'll save me money because I go to the store and just yes. kind of buy stuff that I don't need and then stuff gets thrown out. And two, you know, I'm busy during the day and five o'clock rolls around every day. And it's like a big surprise to me. Yeah, we have to I eat know. Dinner. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. And I dread it. But um, I was as I tried to I've done some research on it and tried to get into it. And I was surprised at at like how complicated it can be. But this worksheet sounds um, sounds really good. I'll make sure to include a link to it in our show notes. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pen and paper person, like I'm just old fashioned, but I know people do all kinds of neat things on their phones with apps and stuff with, you know, shared grocery lists and meal planning (laughs) services. And I think it's great. If that's your thing, awesome. But I am an old fashioned pen and paper person. So I like to have it, you know, in my bag with a pen. That's just how I work. Me too. Well, this has been a really great um, conversation and I look forward to sharing all of your tips and strategies. I know that um, food is something that moms talk about a lot, and I think this will be a very popular episode. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share or, um, you know, in closing, do you have any final thoughts? Sure. I just, um, you know, I always, I I guess I never really explained why I called my blog Real Mom Nutrition, but (laughs) what I wanted to convey is that I just, that I'm a real mom and that I live in the real world. So um, that I understand what everybody's going through and I'm going through the same stuff. So I guess I just want moms to know that, um, you know, even though, you know, the quote unquote experts maybe come to your podcast and and give advice and give tips, it doesn't mean that anybody has it all figured out. And, And we all have hard days. And so I just want moms to know that and then I hope you come to my blog and and read the funny stories and get lots of good advice and it is it is a really nice community um of the real mom nutrition reader so I really appreciate you having me on your podcast we will definitely be at your blog I was really excited to find you I think it's a great resource and thanks thank you so much you're welcome